Happy Monday and welcome to Reading the Bible is Easy-ish. I am Hogan Brock. He is Harrison Litzel. We are glad that you are joining us again this week. Harrison, we're back together for the first time in about a month. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah. I, um, staying busy as has become my refrain, three jobs and a podcast, right? That's that's kind of how I live my life. And then there are uh, two kids who also live here in the house and I am uh, at least or 50% responsible for them. Um, I was, I, I don't feel like I should go into any more depth of weighing out percentages of the partnership between me and my spouse. So we'll just stick with the, with the solid 50%. Seems like a dangerous thing to do. I yeah. was wondering, uh, I, so you, Matilda was born while you were still in seminary. Yes. Your first daughter. Yes. Okay. Yes. How I'm curious. We know several people who went to seminary and have children in seminary. I am in seminary and do not have children. I'm just curious how much easier it is, is it to raise a child when not in school you do have three jobs mm-hmm. so maybe it's way harder i don't know this may be a moot point because of how busy you are yeah i think i think i'm just a different kind of busy now it was a big shift for me personally um being in seminary before i had a kid i was at my school a lot um like i was just there doing different things working um in the offices and and hanging out uh, just spending time there being a part of the community um, and then once I had, once we had our daughter, um, I was there for 12 hours on Mondays. Um, and that was it. Um, I really, it really just changed my relationship to my classmates, my professors. Um, and then it was also, uh, 2020, uh, very quickly thereafter. And then I was never on campus. Um, yeah, and so that changed everything for everybody yeah, that changed a lot of things. Um, and so I do think, I mean, I think I'm just, just as busy now as I ever was probably a little bit busier even. Um, but it, it changed the way that I interacted with with my school uh, a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. I wondered if at the beginning of the podcast, we could talk for just a second. Rachel and I, um, as people know, moved to Toronto several months ago uh, and have been exploring different churches. And recently we were, uh, we've been visiting um, an Anglican church. It's a large Anglican church just down the street. Uh, and we went to a little get together for new people that had the the bishop of the church there her name is jenny uh and she asked uh like what do you think of the church mm-hmm. and i gave a number of responses and she's like oh my goodness you've been paying attention so i wondered if we could talk about for just a minute when you go to a new church for the first time what are the things you notice and i wonder if this will be unique to us as people who have you know thought a lot about church um or if this is something that other people notice so I'll start off while you think for just a second. So going to this Anglican church, uh, the first thing that really stuck out to me, two things. One, we went to a contemporary service in a very uh, traditional high church sort of sanctuary. And I thought the the kind of tension and um, yeah, just the kind of difference in those two things, people wearing jeans and t-shirts and preaching, and then having these just gorgeous huge stained glass windows behind them just an interesting contrast but also there was uh in the invitation to come forward for communion uh the pastor priest uh, offered um a welcome anyone is welcome to come to this table to receive uh the bread it is an open table all these sorts of things but on the screen at the same time it said you may come forward for communion if you're baptized and that was Mm -hmm. one of the first things i noticed was that kind of difference in uh, what the church was or what the priests were saying but what the church 
uh, kind of represented on their on their digital stuff. And I thought that was interesting. Um, I'm wondering, in your experience visiting around at churches and those sorts of things, what are some of the first things you notice when you visit a church? Yeah, I think that I I think I do notice architecture of a church. I think that that says a lot about a church. Um, uh, both, you know, there's things, conversations about like where the pulpit is and what's central on the platform and, and, and things like that. Um, I also am always, I love the architecture of a church. If you look up in a lot of churches, the ceilings have the rafters placed in a certain way so that it is representative of a boat or a ship, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like the bottom, the whole of a ship. And it's this like theological idea that you are, you are safe from the troubled waters when you're in the church, it's kind of gathering together in the safety of the boat. Um, and I really love that architecture. And I love how it's lasted so long and how there are a lot of ways in which I don't think we really reference that, or there are ways in which I don't even know how much I believe that to be the case, like what that is representative of, but I just really love that architecture. And so I, I do pay attention to those things. Um, I think another thing that I think about pretty quickly is the bulletin or order of worship. I think mm -hmm. that just tells you a lot about a church. Um, churches that I went to when I was younger, I feel like what you were handed was really more announcement based of like what's going on this week, what's the name of the pastor, you know, things like that. The church um, that I went to most recently for the past couple of years, it was an order of worship. And if you didn't have it in your hand throughout the worship service, you were lost because there were responsive readings there were some hymns that were only in the bulletin and not up on screens or in the hymnal and things like that um and so i remember my grandfather coming with me to that church one time and he got his order of worship and then he set it to the side when we got to the pew because oh. why would he need it you know um and then he was constantly having to like find it again because it was something that he wasn't used to and so i think that that's something else that tells me a lot about the worship style and the practices of the church pretty quickly just what's on that piece of paper you're handed at the door yeah that's interesting in covid at least visiting there's not as much paper being handed out and so that's been an interesting thing too visiting around there's not uh it's interesting to see how uh worship leaders are prompting people to engage um the different ways that participatory worship can still happen those responsive readings there are some churches that in toronto at least uh, where things are a bit more strict still where we're not really speaking very much mm -hmm. indoors um and so it's been interesting to see the ways that uh, that churches are kind of navigating that but i would be interested if if anyone is willing to comment when you visit a church what's what's the first thing you notice i think that's different for different folks and i think uh for pastors and clergy who are interested in that sort of thing. Uh, if you're working at a church, it's really hard to know what people are noticing the first time they step through your doors. Uh, so I don't know, maybe let your pastor know uh, and be gentle if it's uh, not a good thing. So we'll go ahead and move on to our scripture passage for this week, which is coming from Revelation chapter one. I don't think we've ever done uh, a passage from Revelation. Um, and quite honestly, if I had thought about this for more than a, a few seconds, I might not have chosen it. Uh, <laughs> so we will be reading Revelation 1, uh, verse 4 through 8. And we'll be reading from the NRSV like we normally do. Revelation 1, 4 through 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we will spend five minutes or so breaking down this passage. Harrison, as I read that, I thought, man, this is weird. Uh, any first thoughts from you? Yeah, I hit that. I hit that right when we right when you said firstborn of the dead. Um, mm -hmm. That's not a name for Jesus that I hear very often. Um, and so it was at that point, when you told me right before we started recording that we were going to read Revelation, my, my first thought was, oh, dear. And then you said Revelation 1. And I thought, oh, thank goodness, you know, that's before things really kind of go to different places. Um, and then when we said firstborn of the dead, I, I thought, oh, dear, again, um, and realized that we weren't as safe as I first thought we might be. Mm, yeah, yeah. There are a number of different phrases in here that are unfamiliar to me. And so firstborn of the dead is chief among those things that also felt a little strange to me is this uh, in verse seven, it's this kind of poetic piece. Look, he who comes in the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Uh, just this, I'm not sure what the tone of that suppo is supposed to be. Like, is that a vindictive sort of tone? I don't know. Um, that struck me as odd. And then this mention of seven spirits who are before his throne. Um, that's, that's a more uh, mystic image, I think, than we get of, uh, of Jesus or of heaven or of whatever's kind of being displayed here than we get in the rest of the New Testament. Yeah, with the the seven spirits, what I thought of with that was there's another podcast I listened to that's put out by NPR called uh, Code Switch. And it's their mm -hmm. podcast on race. Um, and they talk about explanatory comma, right? Where it's one of these things where they, if they mention a term or a person or something like that, that they think might not be familiar to some segment of their audience, they'll give an explanatory comma to explain who or what this is that they're talking about. So here with the seven spirits, we don't get the explanatory comma. It's, it's said and it's moved on as if we should know mm -hmm. what the seven spirits are. And that can tell us about the audience of this, right? And I think that that pretty quickly for me kind of pushed me back because I felt like I'm not the audience for this. This was not originally written for me because you said seven spirits as though I'm supposed to know what that means. And I don't, and you didn't stop to explain it. And so I feel like you're talking to someone else. Um, and I think that was kind of my my vantage point for the rest of the verses was who are you talking to here what is happening and, and just kind of trying to find a footing um and then I'm, as you kind of mentioned there were so many phrases in here that i was unfamiliar with that i i don't feel like i found that footing again yeah i think this is that's one of the things that's important to keep in mind when reading revelation in general right we've my first encounters with revelation are through um fiction Right. So like things like the Left Behind series that are kind of this imaginative version of what Revelation is trying to kind of paint in these very vague images um, or through. Uh, uh, I don't know if you've ever stayed up and watched like the late night edition of the Christian channels where they, they have mm -hmm. like preachers and those sorts of things. A lot of Revelation talk on there. Um, that's my initial exposure to Revelation. What I've come to understand now is that Revelation does not have to be interpreted necessarily as this. Uh, this end times prophe prophecy. And I think what you're pointing to is important. Even in verse four, it's, it begins with John to the seven churches that are in Asia. There's not necessarily a need for us to extrapolate that out and say the seven churches in Asia are in the modern world, these seven things. Mm. These were seven churches that probably existed somewhere in the, the Asian continent. And this was a letter that was being sent to them under the name of John. Mm -hmm. uh, and so right away, we know the audience is this ancient audience 
who is understanding something, understanding these context clues, perhaps in a way that we can't. Um, so I would just, as general guidance for reading Revelation, don't assume this is about you. <laughs> it's okay to to learn things from this, to take things from this. As if if God or or the Holy Spirit moves in you in reading this, I think that's valid. Um, but I think the assumption that this is uh, something that's necessarily applicable to what's coming in the world um, does not necessarily have to be true. Yeah, I, as we as we kind of continue to go through that passage, I I did feel like there were these, as you talked about, you know, the Left Behind series and all that, I felt like there were some allusions to what I know of Revelation from those, right, of Alpha and Omega is familiar. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think there's a few times in Revelation where we get this every every eye will see him, this idea of everyone at some point is going to recognize who Jesus is. Um, and so seeing those kind of pieces still there of what I did find familiar, um, I could feel myself being drawn to those ideas of revelation that I am um, familiar with, that I, I can be comfortable with at times. Um, but then, you know, I felt like those were kind of intermixed with these parts where it was pushing me back um, because it was things that I didn't recognize and didn't fully understand. Yeah. Yeah. Last thing that I think I, I want to just kind of latch onto is here, this idea, yeah, that um, in verse seven, it's this kind of illusion that everyone at some point is going to see God as God. Um, I think I interpreted that uh, coming from a, a Southern Baptist background. I would interpret that often, as I said at the beginning, in, in sort of a vindictive sort of way, right? Everyone's going to see some are going to be saved, the rest are not. Um, I'm reading that now, and of course, I'd have to read a bit more into the context and, and, and what other people have written about this. But coming to this from a place of, as you've said before, in the New Testament, what we see is, is God continually blowing through walls of exclusion. Um, there just keeps being made more and more and more room for who's included in, in the kingdom of God or in God's love. Um, and I'm wondering if the same is true here. Um, is this prophetic saying, everyone's going to see God? end of story um and i don't know if that's what it's saying or not but i'm, I'm finding that and thinking that that's uh, that's pretty hopeful for me any uh any last takeaways from this text for you yeah i think that it, it makes me interested in revelation a little bit because it i feel like this is one of those things where revelation is one of the books of the bible with that when i think about i'm like yeah i, I kind of know the plot points i know what's there i remember you know this that and i remember that i don't really understand a lot of it but i know the scholars interpretations of it and i kind of know what's happening there um and then this is a reminder that like nope there's just a whole lot that i just don't remember i i've read it before perhaps and i just don't remember what it is i don't remember what it says um but calling jesus you know the firstborn of the dead and um yeah that verse that you were talking about again of every eye will see him even those who pierced him and on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail i have no idea what's what's happening there i don't know what the antecedents for the pronouns are i don't know who it's talking about exactly um it is just an encouragement of even if i have a vague memory of a passage it's probably worth reading it again um because i don't remember it fully yeah yeah it's a great reminder uh, i feel like we've run into that again and again when we come to familiar verses it's like wow i uh, i actually didn't know what that said so yeah. that's a good takeaway well, if you have made it this far, thank you so much for listening. I hope you will like and subscribe wherever you found us and share with someone who you think might enjoy the show. Uh, and until next week, keep trying to read the Bible. <laughs>